Welcome to Cosmic You, the podcast where we explore the depths of spirituality, self-discovery, and the mysteries of the universe. I'm Holly. And I'm Bree. Through our journey, we've discovered that the universe is a reflection of our inner selves, and by exploring the cosmos, we can discover new insights which guide us to unlock our true potential. Each week, we'll be diving into a new topic related to spirituality, inviting guests along the way who are experts and thought leaders in their field to join us to share their unique insights and perspectives. Throughout conversations, we hope to inspire you to discover the sacred within yourself and the world around you. We are so excited to embark on this journey with you. Welcome to Cosmic You. Welcome back to another episode of Cosmic You, the podcast. Today, we are joined with Brianna, not Brianna, the co-host, but another Brie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So hopefully you start to get a little bit of distinction between their voices as we go along through the um, interview today. Um, Brie is someone that I've known for, I don't know, a little bit now. She is a mental health facilitator and she's also a fellow yoga teacher. Uh, Welcome, Brie, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. (laughs) So (laughs) we actually did record this podcast last week and um, the Mercury gods were absolutely not on our side. They seem like they're slightly not on our side today either. So we will see how we go, (laughs) see how we go recording and uh, sound wise, we hope is okay for you guys. Um, But those of you that tune into the podcast, you know that we ask every guest that we have on their cosmic code, which is their um, life path number in numerology, what they are in human design, and then also their sun sign in astrology. So Brie, could you please share with us what your cosmic code is? So I'm I'm a Capricorn sun. Aries moon, Sagittarius rising, an eight life path number, and a four six manifesting generator. Four six. Mm. <laughs> so we're shaking things up a little bit today, guys. I'm Holly going to decipher Bree's cosmic code, and then Bree's going to take over the astrology because it's not my forte. Um, none of it is actually, to be honest. <laughs> but so with the life path number eight in numerology. Um, this is the number of karma. So it's, and you know, if you've been around spiritual world a little bit, you've probably heard of karma before, but it's not essentially what goes around comes around. It's all of the lessons and things that we're here to learn and all of the things that where our soul has literally craved for us to move through so that we can alchemize all of those lessons from that life experience and then turn them into wisdom to actually support other people um, or support our own evolution as well. So essentially Brie with that um, life path number, that karmic number eight. Also, it's the number of manifestation and abundance and a lot of power as well. So it's with those life path number eights, it's important that we sort of, I guess, look to life as a teacher, not just as life sort of happening to us so that we can actually extract what that lesson is trying to teach us so that we can then, yeah, grow ourself or then support others in growth, which is clearly what you do in your work, which is really amazing. Um, And then manifesting generator, don't know heaps about this either, but I'm going to take a stab at it. (laughs) 
um, is essentially you've got all of these ideas, all of this creativity, but you also have the power behind you to actually bring that into the world. Whereas some of the other energetic types have all of these ideas and all of these creativity, but they kind of run out of steam um, and don't actually have that power to bring those things into the world. I'm a projector, so I can relate to like having all of those things and not always having the power source to actually like put the things into the world. Um, but you've kind of got the whole thing going on, which is pretty cool. It is really cool. Bree's chart is just, um, yeah, you've got quite an incredible life. And I think it's going to be really interesting as you start to alchemize all of these lessons and transcend them into wisdom and share them into the world. And you can really see already like that you've started to step into your power. I've only been following your journey for a few months now, but already like even in that short amount of time, I can just see like your confidence growing and just the wisdom that you're sharing like is so tangible and relatable. And I think because you're so deeply embodied in what you're teaching, the ripple effect, like it feels different. It's It, it feels so powerful to... To witness that so yeah thanks Holm good job <laughs> add that to the resume yeah it's so funny because I mean obviously um we went through that last time and uh one thing that you said Brie was like about you know being consistent like as a Capricorn kind of thing and being and and with the manifesting generator you know being able to kind of bring these ideas into reality and then like consistently work on them and then um, a few days later, I had this session with my friend who's studying kinesiology. I actually don't know what kinesiology is to this day, um, but the session with her was great. <laughs> the session was great. Um, at first, I was like, you know, not sure where she was going with it, but then she kind of like was saying about how um, – you know, to bring my body into into balance, like my body wants to flow. And so it was really interesting because I got this like kind of, you know, the, I guess the light side and the dark side of this ongoing mm. consistency um, and realizing, I guess, after that session, oh yeah, like, you know, my consistency is really helpful in some ways, but also, you know, creating space for flowing as well mm. um, in order to, I guess, you know, be different from where I was when I was in burnout to now you know what I mean and mm. I am like recognizing that more and more but at the same time um yeah I think that's my work in progress you know bringing yeah. flow into that um consistency because well, even if you look at your moon sign and your rising sign both being in fire it's like you've either got an inferno or this like flickering light and so <laughs> it's just like working out where's your happy medium so that you can yeah remain consistent and also now that I know that you have the six in your human design chart the six is really interesting number because it's like we basically scurry around accumulating lessons for the first 30 years and we can't really work out what we're doing why why these people situations and things are coming into our life and it just feels like this mismatch of like of ideas and, and you know, trainings <laughs> and things. <laughs> and then you finally get to 30. How old are you? 30. Just So Bree's finally hit 30 and got on the roof. That's what they say. Like the whole, like from zero to 30, we're literally just like scurrying, trying to get up onto the roof. So we're on safe ground. And then you hit 30 and it's like, oh, the lessons ease off so mm. that you can start to alchemize the lessons 
into this wisdom and it, that's exactly what's been happening. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's nuts because when I was on my yoga teach training two years ago, there was a girl there doing her training as well and her mum was into human design. That was like the first I ever knew anything about human design kind of thing. Mm. Um, and I think she said like a certain thing and I don't know when people tell you this, but it's like in the future, you're like, oh, yeah. Like, future Brie will think yeah, that. <laughs> whatever, like, you know, you don't know how that's going to feel or something. But like, yeah, I actually genuinely do feel that. Like I, uh, I mean, I started kind of doing this, you know, mental health yoga teacher, um, crisscross, like, you know, probably 18 months ago. But for the first year, I didn't put my face on Instagram. Like I was so, I, I wanted no one to know who was doing it kind of thing. And I was like really, um, you know, not interested in like being seen in that way kind of thing. And then like towards the end of last year, I was like, I literally do not care. And I'm just like, um, yeah, I just am comfortable now and I, I don't care. But for so long, I just, I couldn't even put my face or my name, not even my name. Yeah. And then somebody that I taught yoga to said, um, yeah, I was trying to Google you, but I couldn't find you anywhere on the internet. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's good. I didn't find That's intentional. <laughs> and then I thought, that's crazy. I'm trying to start mm. a business and I put my name on. <laughs> but like for context for you and, and for everyone listening, so at 28, which you said was when this all started, mm. you just started your first pinnacle which is when you started to learn your first lesson in numerology. And we always start our pinnacle with a nine year. So you you were going through a process of letting everything go so that in your one year, which was at 29, you could actually start to plant the seeds and put the structures around what you wanted this pinnacle to look like. So, yeah, it's so cool hearing back. Like you did exactly what you were meant to do. You were letting go of the corporate. You were starting to step into this space, but not fully. And it's really good, actually, that you didn't fully step in until 29 because otherwise it would have ended prematurely. Mm. And so, well done, Del. So this year, Brie, is in her two-year. And so when you're in your two-year, it's really important to note who comes into your life because it's all around relationships and connections and trusting your intuition. So start to lean into what connections are starting to swirl around you because people this year are going to lead you on your path to where you need to go next. Cool. Anyone want to show their face? <laughs> I'm looking. <laughs> Hello. They're out there. Just casual, casual call out. <laughs> Um, I was also going to say something that I was thinking when you were speaking was like how you didn't put your name or anything out there um, and like didn't let yourself be seen. Do you think like there's an aspect to that? Because I think this is helpful for others as well where like you actually just weren't seeing yourself and like you didn't want to see a certain like power that you had or a certain aspect of you rather than like just necessarily it being the, the outer world sort of seeing you. Yeah, like... I did feel like I was a bit fumbling about last year kind of thing and it actually wasn't until I was started listening to this podcast and I heard Brie talk about numerology and then I looked up what year I was in and I was in a one year and then like all the pressure came off kind of thing. I was like, why can't I find like 
exactly how I want to go about this or what I want to do with it or whatever. And I, I really just felt like, um, you know, I was always in the books and I was just like, oh, this is interesting and this is interesting and I could go this way about it or do this thing or blah, blah, blah. And I had like so many ideas, which was nice because when you're in burnout, you don't have any fresh ideas or curiosity. So it was nice to have all the ideas, but I like didn't know how I was going to go about it. But finding out that I was in the one year, I think took the pressure off. Um, and yeah, then things really started to kind of take shape at the end of last year. And I was like, oh, okay, I know more about how this is going to look like. And I think because I felt more sure than I was more sure about putting myself out there mm-hmm. as well. Mm. It's so cool. I love how intuitively you're just following your numerology path. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's good to hear. But I think um, I, the way that I became okay with this was actually hearing someone who probably, you know, is kind of like five years ahead of me in terms of like they, you know, quit their law degree and then did, um, you know, human design. I heard her talk about like, oh, that kind of fear of being seen when you're like changing directions or something. And as soon as like that was named, then it like kind of gave me permission to just do it. And I was like, oh, that's what that is. I'm actually scared of being seen. So then... um, yeah, I think that's why I went into that just then because it was so helpful for me to hear that. So hopefully it's helpful mm. for someone else to hear it as well. Mm. Yeah. There's so much power when you find an expander that can do that for you. Like it's so helpful to be able to see to believe that it is possible instead of it just being an idea in our heads. So speaking of burnout, Bree, could you just tell us a little bit about your journey to getting to this point and how you ended up being so passionate and so embodied in this work? Yeah, so um, about two years ago, uh, I was working in a community organisation and I'd worked in the community, I think at that point, for about five years in a couple of different jobs. Uh, But this final job that I spent the most time in, um, it was a women's drop-in service and it was in King's Cross, um, in Sydney. So basically um, any woman could drop in if she was over 18 and identified as a woman. And the service would provide like meals, showers, toiletries, you know, some kind of programs like yoga and sewing and um, jewelry making and that kind of thing, but also um, case management and programs Uh, program coordination and so my job was to create and run the programs and also to provide case management and um, I guess what I saw there was just like this revolving door of women coming in trying to get their needs met whether that was they were homeless and they needed housing they were escaping domestic violence they were managing an addiction Um, or they, one of the main programs I worked on was for mums with kids in out-of-home care, so they were trying to get their kids back. Um, So all of these women had experienced complex trauma and they basically just needed support. But, and obviously as a case manager or as a program coordinator, you know, I was one of the workers there that were coming to for support. But then, you know, our social support system is broken on so many levels. Like there's not enough social housing. So to um, 
wait for a house if you were on priority would be minimum a year but likely a lot more like there was women waiting on the wait list for over five years um you know if you want mental health support and you want to see a psychologist well if you want that bulk build then you'll be again on a wait list and again wait lists don't really work for mental health support because um you know making that decision to like go and see someone and go and um yeah get support and start making some headway like you've got to catch people when you know there's that spark in them to do that and eight weeks later you know the situation is going to be so different that Mm -hmm. they might not you know they might be not at that point there that they want to get support and that's not through any fault of their own that's just the nature of you know experiencing trauma and then again waiting to get into a rehab there's a wait list Another thing that you really want to hopefully be able to help people with immediately, but I couldn't, and with the mums with kids in out-of-home care, um, that's a whole legal process which takes, again, minimum two years. And so they would be coming to me for support, but then I felt like I couldn't give them any immediate support. So, you know, I'd help them get on the housing wait list, but they're still you know, homeless and so still dropping in every couple of weeks. And if you're living on the street, your mental health is not or in unstable accommodation or if you have to go back to um, an abusive partner because it's the only form of accommodation that you have, then your mental health is not going to get any better. And I just felt like so stuck in the context of all these systemic issues that I couldn't do too much to change. And then So while all of this is happening, you know, then I was getting, I mean, yeah, the language I use now is I was getting more burnt out, but I don't, I didn't really recognize that all the time. I just, I guess, felt really hopeless and like helpless. And then it was just kind of building up and building up and building up. And then all I knew is that I wanted to take some time off. Um, And again, I wasn't really recognizing at that point that I was burnt out, but I did have like a number of health issues. So I had, um, chronic constipation, I had excruciating period pain, Um, I was getting sick all the time and I was really, really anxious. Like it's so funny to look back then now because anxious was like the norm for me. Like I always was anxious. That was just my normal state but I didn't know (laughs) that that was not normal because that was like how I just always felt. Um, And, yeah, I was so on edge. I mean I was really angry. I guess just seeing that over and over again, Um, yeah. So I was experiencing all of these issues and I went to a naturopath and I was really hoping that the naturopath told me that I was going to be allergic to gluten uh, because then I could cut out gluten and then all these issues would go away and she told me that they were all due to stress and I was like not having a bar of that because that meant I would have to do something about it. And I was like, well, I've got a full-time job. I was on a couple of boards um, and, you know, trying to maintain a life and all of that kind of thing, trying to exercise. Like I was like, there's nothing right now that can come off my schedule. So like this is all just going to stay the way it is. Um, And then anyway, it took some time off and I really, I think I didn't realise how bad it was until I started to get better. So Basically, the first thing I did was I just went on a van trip, like a surf trip with my partner for a few months. And then 
at the end of that, he was um, moving back to Newcastle to support his dad. Uh, but I was kind of like on my eat, pray, love year. So I wanted to like, you know, continue, continue the journey. And towards the end of me working um, at the women's service, I did have this realisation where I was like, I think I really like yoga because I had been getting up, practising every day for, it had been at that point every day for six years, like pretty much without fail. Um, I'd been doing yoga for 12. And then I just started to look around. I was like, no one does this. Like, no, I was living with like five other people at the time. I was like, oh, I think I must really like yoga. <laughs> I've been meditating for a while too, um, pretty religiously. So then I was like, okay, I think I'll go do my yoga teacher training. And I was looking around. I didn't really know where I was going to do it, um, but I ended up finding Krishna Village. And when you go to Krishna Village to do your yoga teacher training, the cost of your certificate is about the same anywhere else, but you also get your food and accommodation included. So, yeah, I was like, heck, yeah, great deal. I'm going to go there, just live there for six weeks, um, do my yoga teacher training. And I had absolutely no intention of teaching. It was just like, you know, I have a year off. I don't, um, I'm not paying rent anywhere. Like, let's go. And then, you know, having all of your needs met, your food, accommodation, all of that, and being so, I guess, you know, mentally stimulated by the yoga teacher training in a way that I guess like really surprised me. Um, yeah, I guess that's when things kind of started to shift. And we were being taught by someone who had served as a Vedic priest, someone who had served as a Vedic nun, you know, there's an ashram there. So it was a very like beautiful, spiritual type place. And I think at that point is where I started to become curious again. So you know, if you experience burnout, you kind of like lose your memory, your brain's really foggy, you don't have any new ideas, um, you're not really interested or curious about anything, but kind of everything started to come back to me in um, those six weeks. And then, um, yeah, I left the yoga teacher training and then it was getting towards the end of the year. So I was like, oh, I'm probably going to have to start thinking about working again. And I thought, what am I going to what am I going to do? Am I going to go back to working in the community? And, you know, pretty immediately the answer to that question was no. And then I was like, well, why is it a no? And um, I kind of just began to think and I was like, well, you know, we weren't, we, everyone that works in the community does a damn good job of like what they're doing, right? But they are very constrained in the systems that we have, like the broken systems. And I just felt like, oh, we, I wasn't doing anything immediate. And that's why I started to feel so stuck because they were coming to me with stuff and I could help them with these long-term issues, but I wasn't helping them right now. And that's why I started to feel, yeah, so crappy, so stuck. And then I was also like, well, am I going to go into yoga teaching? Why have I stuck with yoga for so long? And at the end of the day, you know, the both both questions, the answer was pretty much the same. It's like, you know, we try and find external solutions to people's problems like housing and, um, you know, mental health support, relying on another person supporting them and, um, you know, how can you help someone in the two years or more where they're waiting for their kids to come home? But, um, and again, in the same way, like, why had I stuck with yoga? Why, even when I was like, you know, 
basically at the lowest point kind of thing why was I sticking with that and for me the answer was really about like the body um you know we ignore when we find try and find external solutions or just talk like we're doing this in a very external way or a heady way where it's not um that empowering because you're waiting for someone else to kind of meet your needs in a way and in the same way you know yoga obviously was really nurturing my body in a time when I was very frazzled you know very heady very all over the place um and then you know I started to research more and more and this is kind of a study that I always come back to that I came across was that um and obviously at this time I'm starting to recognize oh I was in like really bad burnout like it was bad and um the study that I came across that I always come back to is that PTSD and burnout have the same negative yet largely reversible impact on the brain in terms of um, an enlarged amygdala, so an overactive kind of fear response and a decrease in areas in like the prefrontal cortex, so emotional regulation um, is affected. And definitely that's what I was experiencing. Like I felt really snappy. I felt really on edge. Um, and when I look back, I can see all these similarities between me and the people I was supporting. And that's not in any way like shameful or creating stigma. Rather, at the end of the day, we were both in this protective kind of fear response um, to what was going on around us and, you know, experiencing either chronic trauma or, um, sorry, chronic complex trauma or chronic stress. Um, and if we're talking about that, then what we're talking about is the nervous system. Um, and so then I started to think, oh, well, if we can, you know, integrate, I guess, more body-based um, approaches in our casework or in our program coordination in the community, then not only would that benefit the people that are seeking support, but it would also support the workers. And then also you would get kind of this like... Um, this really nice connection or like co-regulation or it would increase the harmony between the worker and the client um, uh, and bring them more kind of together on this equal kind of playing field. And then um, I guess, you know, I started thinking I was just going to kind of go into community organisations and run programs to uh, integrate this more body-based approach to support. But then when I started to put my work out there a little bit, actually the people there were so many people interested in the work and it wasn't necessarily people that were working as community workers or mental health workers or nurses it was really mostly a lot of women who had given a lot in their life they were just giving and giving and giving and you know um looking after kids and working and doing all the housework and all this kind of stuff uh really you know emotionally supporting a lot of people around them and were feeling kind of burnt out or um, kind of stuck or at their edge um, but maybe talk therapy hadn't been enough or you know they were doing it and it wasn't enough or they weren't interested and they wanted another way or um, so then you know I kind of that's why I started doing public workshops um, so that I can do it you know in community organizations but also um, I can also deliver it to people that are interested in it which are you know, well, I say, you know, for the givers and for the helpers kind of thing. Um, yeah. 
And so you actually just delivered your, what, two public workshops on the weekend. So what what does that kind of involve and, and look like when you get to hold space for people who do give and who are in such, I guess, if not burnout, then close to burnout? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I was so overwhelmed at the response that I got because it was my first public workshop. So I was like, okay, a couple at each, that'd be nice. But both of them sold out like well in advance and a wait list. And, you know, at, while at one point I was like, oh, that's great. But on the other hand, I was like, oh, God, people are really stressed and they're yeah. really seeking this type of thing. So, you know, it's kind of like a bit of a double-edged sword to have people interested in that way. Um, I mean, delivering programs is was always my favourite part of working in the community. Like I loved the magic that happened in groups. I loved that people can come to a place and be like, you know, I'm not the only one experiencing this. Um, and I I think people who do also, uh, you know, invest their money and invest their time in this kind of thing, they're very curious and open-minded people. And so it's beautiful to be in, uh, um, yeah, a space with those types of people. Um, I yeah. feel like it makes you feel safe when you turn up to a workshop like yours and everyone's there for the same reason. Like you feel like you can just literally dissolve into the experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, so the one on the weekend was about using the body to uh, release stress so we really focused on like the sympathetic state and we did you know there was two kind of chats about sympathetic state and the stress cycle and also you know why we use the body which is really about the vagus nerve and we did um we did a little yoga practice where people kind of got to see how stress affects your you know behavior and your outlook and your thoughts and then we did some somatic practices about how to like use the body to I guess, discharge some of that excess stress energy and bring um, people back into their, you know, parasympathetic state, uh, a place where they can feel rested um, and also where everything in the body is kind of functioning optimally as well, you know, in terms of reproduction and immune health and digestive health and all that stuff. So all of those markers that I was experiencing um, or the negative I guess, health impacts that I was experiencing, yeah, get people kind of functioning functioning optimally again. And, I mean, the reason I like it so much is because obviously in the modern world, like our stresses are going to keep coming one after the other after the other. You know, we don't have that reprieve after we've run away from a tiger and we wait a few days to go out hunting again. We don't have that. And, I mean, when I first found out that all my issues were due to stress, I found that really disempowering because I was like, oh, well, I can't change my stress so I can't do anything about it. But I know now that that's not true because, I mean, I feel like I am kind of living proof of that, that the stresses will keep coming um, and that's okay. But you can, um, yeah, dissolve those negative physiological impacts of stress by using your body and it doesn't, you know, obviously there's a bit of a learning and a trial and error and an experimentation process with all of that. But once you um, kind of get through that, you have all of these tools in your toolbox and you don't have to wait till your next psychologist appointment. I mean, I see a psychologist, so I have nothing against seeing a psychologist and that, but like 
you know, sometimes I am like storing these things to talk to him about. And it's nice to have those in the moment, immediate things, those tools that I wish I had to share, you know, years ago when I was working at the women's service. Mm. Yeah. So with the the popularity, obviously, of your workshops and like people obviously really needing this stuff. Can you just share for our listeners what I guess some of those physiological signs are of stress or burnout because I think obviously so many people are experiencing it so we just think this is normal this is just what happens or like when I get my period like this is just what happens or when I you know go through this this is just normal like everyone else experiences it um so I think if you could yeah just like name some list them out because then people might start to be able to be like oh that's not normal it's common but it doesn't have to be my normal yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, my first, and I'll talk about my markers and what they look like, um, because, uh, you know, that will be similar for people, but also, you know, a little bit different. So for me, my markers, the first thing that I notice now is the negative thoughts. So, um, you know, how you might have a morning and you'll just be like, yeah, yeah, like making my coffee, making my food, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know, you spill your coffee and you're just like, oh, haha, spilt my coffee. That's so dumb. Now I need to do an- make another coffee. Or other mornings you're like, fuck, now my whole day is ruined and this was meant to be a good day and now it's not going to be a good day. You know what I mean? Um, so as soon as I noticed that, like that used to just happen and it used to just run, you know, in anxiety and stuff like that. And I used to just run with it. You know what I mean? Um, but now I can like recognize that and be like, oh, okay, I think I'm stressed. And then the second thing I'll do is I'll check in with my body. Where am I feeling this? And for me, my body kind of stress markers are like, I'll get like a twisty feeling in my stomach. It'll be kind of warm. And then I'll get, I'll also have a bit of a tight chest and I'll, I'll definitely be breathing shallow. Um, and they'll kind of like, the way I describe it is like, there's like this charge in the body kind of thing. And I mean, I was experiencing it this morning. I, I had all these things that I set out to do this week and I just kind of realized this morning and I didn't have a great sleep, like, oh, I'm not going to get it done. So I just woke up feeling really anxious. And before I would have just, you know, just been like, oh, well, I'm just going to be anxious today. But now I know, okay, anxiety, it wants you to move. Anxiety is like that flight energy. It's wanting you to move away from something, to get away from something. So I went for a walk and it wasn't a long walk. It didn't have to be like a power walk or something like that. Like it was just a little walk along along the um yeah, along the beach. And then by the time I was halfway through my walk, I was like, oh, I'm fine, you know. And I also know for me, water, you know, helps kind of get, I guess, you know, dampen some of that fire. So that's really helpful to me. So then I went for a little swim and then I was just like, oh, okay, I'm fine. But so I used to have these negative thoughts, didn't recognize that they were um signifying that I was feeling stressed it was just like oh well that's what I think now Mm. and saying those sensations in my body like I was completely oblivious to them um and 
So I guess this feeling of like being frazzled or being on edge, just like built and built and built and built. And that's why, you know, I wasn't kind of recognizing that I wasn't doing well until I would like snap or something like yeah. had really bad road rage. I was like always beeping and like, you know, giving people <laughs> the finger, whining at my window, yelling shit out. Like I was nuts. You don't um, even <laughs> know. <laughs> <road rage>. <laughs> <laughs> My friend, like a year ago, she said to me, she was like, yeah, Brianna, you have the worst rotation. I was like, I don't anymore. Like, I actually don't. Like, people cut me off and stuff, and I, I like, I hardly react anymore. And yeah. it's, like, it's, like, it's so crazy. Like, it still shocks me that I, you know, I guess the state I was walking around in and was oblivious to it. And um, there was... Uh, this so when I was you know because when you're stressed it's a threat state so you're Mm -hmm. seeing every there's a filter on what you're seeing what you're hearing what you're feeling what you're perceiving about the world and you're perceiving that as everything as a threat and that might be subtle or that might be huge you know what I mean Um, and I mean it's a good thing because it means that your body has protected you for a long time but if it's not you know, if those threats aren't present moment, then, um, you know, there are ways to learn, I guess, to come back to the body in and and have your body like kind of operating the present. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I was living with two friends. Uh, a couple, I was living in a share house at the time in Sydney and two of the guys that I was living with, two of my best friends, super social guys, and they would always like invite me out to places and I'd be like, nah, and then um, I wouldn't say this to them, but in my head I'd be like, oh, no, I can't go to that place because there's going to be that person there and they don't like me and this person thinks this about me and blah, 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 blah. And I had all these thoughts and stories and negative beliefs and all this stuff. And then, you know, that's being proven to me now because these people that I thought didn't like me or something like that are the same people that have, you know, reached out to me now that I am doing this new stuff to like say things that are supportive and stuff like that. So it was literally like a a story that I had created Mm -hmm. in my head. Mm -hmm. And um, in the same way, you know, women that I was supporting at the women's service, you know, I would say something that I would feel was pretty neutral, maybe pleasant kind of thing. And then they would like, you know, blow up or something, and I'd be like, "What? I do, I don't. How could I have said that any better? I don't. I don't know what it is." And it's like, again, it's you know, it's not to talk down on them at all. What I know now is just that, you know, because of their experiences, they were kind of stuck in this threat state, mm-hmm. and they were looking out for threat because that's protected them um, mm-hmm. for their whole life. That's got them through their experiences. That's mm-hmm. helped them survive. Um, so kind of there's a lot of things as well that have just made a lot of sense to me, um, I guess, now that I'm a bit more out of it. Mm. Mm. I don't know if this is like a bit of a stretch, but I'm just thinking about it as you were speaking. How much of our like negative thought, or, and I don't know, maybe the answer is all, but like our negative thought patterns, our um, negative beliefs actually could just be, I mean, because this is kind of, the progress of yoga anyway like you got to deal with your nervous system before you start to deal with the other things anyway so and I think sometimes what I see and definitely what I've tried to do before in the past is like 
I'll just, you know, think my way through this. Like I can change that negative thought pattern and you think you've like got yourself wrapped around it and then life happens and you're like honking the horn or like sticking your finger up or getting pissed off that your coffee fell over everywhere. (laughs) Um, So would you say like all of our, again, maybe a bit of a stretch, negative thought patterns and habits actually if we just dealt with the stress that we experience and I I mean like learn how to respond to it learn how to dissolve it inside of our body then the other stuff just becomes so much easier yeah I think it's um you know and this is what was so exciting to me when I was like diving into it at the same time as doing my yoga teach training there's just like so many overlaps it's like the first thing that you have to do if you want to change your actions is to and your thoughts and your behavior is you have to build awareness and that's you know like step one of yoga kind of thing it's about building awareness and um you know also what kind of yoga says about bringing the samskaras like the imprints Mm. up to the surface so then you can dissolve them and then they are not unconsciously impacting your life anymore and I mean that's definitely been my experience and as I said like you know, I mean, we're, we're talking about thoughts, um, but if you, and when I said like, oh, I notice negative thoughts and then I notice the feeling in my body, same thing with actions or behaviours or, or um, kind of habitual patterns and stuff like that. It's like if you go underneath, so what everyone else sees is kind of like your behavioural patterns and underneath that is actions that are obviously repeated over time. Underneath that is emotions mm-hmm. and emotions happen in the body because if they weren't, then we would just think we were angry, but actually we know we're angry because our body gets hot and we mm-hmm. have that feeling in our stomach or in our chest or whatever. And so then under the emotions is sensation. So, yeah. you know, the question is how do you know you're feeling an emotion if it's not about what's up here in the head? It's um, your emotions made up of two or more physical sensations. So, you know, you could have a sick feeling in the stomach and that could signify a range of things that you're nervous, that you need to pull or that you've eaten too much. But if you also pair it with a tight chest, then you know, okay, it's not really about eating too much or needing to go to the toilet. Um, It's probably that you're nervous or experiencing some other emotion like that. And then you can go, okay, why am I, and this is me in my process, like, okay, why am I feeling that way? Is it about something that's happening now or is this just like a um, a response pattern that has once been helpful to me but is maybe no longer helpful to me now? And by kind of untangling that, then, you know, you can also get to the bottom of it because if you're not aware as well, like what's happening in your body, you're kind of like cut off at the head. The other thing that can kind of happen, um, and again, this was me, you know, you're always then blaming other people. You're blaming outside things. You're blaming external things um, for all of your problems. And, I mean, we all know that that's not helpful. Yes, sometimes there is, like, an external element to that um, and you have a reason to be angry about that and that is, you know, completely justified. You know, say, for example, um, when I was supporting the women who had uh, kids in out-of-home care, like there's a lot of stigma and racism in that service, uh, sorry, in that uh, system. So a lot of the people that actually got their kids removed probably shouldn't have had their kids removed. Like their anger was justified. 
but you know if they then we used to speak to them a lot about anger it's like if you keep meeting everything with anger you know it's it's only useful for that kind of short-term burst it's not useful in the long term really what you have to come back to is kind of um yeah I guess like separating out what's useful what is there and what is something that I have to move through and what is actually yeah going to be most useful to me in this moment in terms of you know changing my patterns my actions my trajectory that kind of thing Mm. I don't know if that makes sense yeah it does and I think it's so helpful I think in particular because Brie co-host Brie (laughs) we talk a lot about and like I think in earlier episodes we've spoken a lot about like getting people to tune into their body to like, what are you actually feeling? And like being able to go, okay, this type of emotion actually feels like this inside of me, but breathe the way that you just put it mm-hmm. in terms of like those two sensations. I think that's like, so I've never heard that before. Um, and I think that's yeah. so key for people. It just gives them like another thing, like another tangible thing to actually explore inside of their body. Because it's so true. Like if you've eaten too much, sometimes you're just like oh well I really ate too much and you can tell like that there's a different feeling versus like I've got that kind of feeling but there's also something else you know sitting with that too yeah I just thought that was really helpful Mm. Mm. yeah and I think um this is where I also say like you know there's a lot of like talking about listen to your body Mm. you know tune into your body like and all that and obviously I'm the biggest advocate for that but I also know that like if you've experienced complex trauma like your body is a very scary place or can be a very scary place and that listening to body feels so inaccessible yeah um you know because obviously that's holding like the implicit memory of potentially the trauma Mm. and but at the end of the day there is still you know steps to come back to the body in a way that is safe like I'm just about to finish my certificate in trauma sensitive yoga And they kind of talk about the three steps of reclaiming your body. It's like first you notice that you have a body and then second um, you start to befriend your body so you get a little bit more curious maybe about what's there kind of thing and you do it in a way that where the sensation doesn't overwhelm you. You start to kind of, you know, bring that sensation back in in a way that's safe. And then after that, step three, using your body as a resource, which is, you know, what I would teach more at the public workshops more about using body as a resource but that's why I also wanted to get my significant in trauma sensitive yoga because it like the research does say that it has been or it is an effective way to um, address complex trauma uh, because uh, actually there's like this research that came out recently that said that the effects were you know more immediate and more long-term than you know cognitive processing therapy and it does it in this very, like, I guess, titrated kind of way. Um, and for anyone that, you know, went to a yoga class at a studio, they'd probably come into a trauma-sensitive yoga um, group class or one-on-one and be like, that's not yoga because it's so different. Um, but, again, that goal is really about kind of meeting some of those negative impacts of trauma and, um, yeah, working with them to then find a way back to the body and I mean you know that's the that's the 
complex trauma version, but my version was like a chronic stress version. Mm-hmm. I ignored my hunger signals for so long. You know, I grew up as a dancer and then, you know, all the stuff that women are told about bodies. And then when I was working at the women's service, you know, I would hardly ever take a break. Um, like we were, we were more than allowed to have a break and all of that, but I would hardly ever take one. I'd feel hungry. I'd be like, whatever, I can't be bothered. Don't, not going to take a break or what. So I... And I did not realize that I couldn't notice my hunger cues until I um, started dating Damo, my partner. And um, this one day we were sitting like watching the view in, on like a cliff. And then I was like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit hungry. And then he got up and he started running. And then I like caught up to him and I was like, what? And he's like, we need to get you food straight away. Um, because he knew that this like, that my idea of when I was hungry was so behind and I am pitta, so I get like really hangry. Um, he was just like, we need to get you food right now kind of thing and just starts running. Mm-hmm. Um, but And then like this other kind of version of that about how it's called interoception, so being able to feel your bodily signals and how that can be trained. So he's a surfer and he's been surfing since he was 12, so like over 20 years. And we literally step out of the house and he'll be like, it's a southerly kind of thing. And he just knows exactly like which direction the air is flicking his skin on, you know, without looking at the trees, without looking at the surface port, nothing. He just knows what direction the air is flicking his skin on because that's the ability to feel bodily sensations and process them and make sense of them. So I feel like, you know, um, there's like that version of how it kind of impacts might impact your ability to listen to your bodily clues when you're in complex trauma, but also how that might happen in chronic stress if you walk around um, ignoring bodily signals like hunger or thirst or going to the toilet. Um, but then also that version of like how this can be trained and how, you know, um, over time those signals become more and more kind of, uh, what's the word, like? Obvious? Um, yeah, Obvious. <laughs> I really like um, that model. I literally wrote it down after you, I heard you say it about just even recognizing that you have a body, and then do you mean like working from there? Because it can feel so overwhelming, and just even like you were saying, everyone says like, "Come into your body, feel mm. into your body." I'm like, how the f- do I actually do that? Like, can you actually right. give me a tangible? resource or like do mean like can you just explain how how I feel into my body like what does that actually look like and I think that's something Brie that you do so well your entire Instagram is just so helpful with all of these short sharp to the point like I don't know practices that anyone could just pick up and in that moment adapt straight away and it just mm-hmm. I think that's like one of the most powerful things you're doing is you're making it you're breaking it down in such a beautifully articulate way that makes that's making all of this accessible. There's there's no buzzwords and jargon. It's just like practicality, and it's like so welcome. And I've like personally already used so many of your resources that you've done. I was so devastated on the weekend that I had my kinesiology course and couldn't come to dissolve. <laughs> so if you could do that again for me. Um, <laughs> Because I'm like, wow, like, 
your work is just yeah so needed and and yeah yeah I think um well the way I started dissolve I said don't feel like I'm teaching you anything new what you'll discover is your body already knows Mm. and that's just been my experience with it like everything just Mm. feels very natural and intuitive but that's not like that there's no pressure on that to happen straight away I think like when it when this kind of stuff becomes like oh you know I'm not I'm not into this stuff is when you know if you were to present it in a way like oh you can just do this straight away as you said come Mm. into your body now come into your body but it's like okay how how do I do that? What's the process? You what know? do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I thought I was already here. <laughs> you mean I'm not in my body? <laughs> yeah. Where am I then? <laughs> I think. Um, and I think when you've been in this work for so long, you forget that people don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, when you're first starting out and you hear all this, all of it's like this whole new vocabulary that exists in this space that doesn't exist in the rest of the world, mm-hmm. and so you forget that. But yeah. yeah, you haven't forgotten that, and you're you're making all of this accessible, which I think is just mm. so powerful, and yeah, mm. so grateful for it. Yeah, and I think like the key is that it's not trendy. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that's sometimes where we can get steered off course a little bit is we like things become a bit trendy in like the wellness world and so we kind of just like go into them a little bit and like Brie what you were saying is like how Brie's dissolve what like the things that she does are actually just like practical because so many things I think people Mm. just fluff around with because they're the new thing to do and no one necessarily has that like deeply embodied understanding of the thing that they're trying to deliver and I think that's why it can just be like listen to your body like come into your body and like no one actually can give you the thing of like here's how to do that um and yeah Mm -hmm. I agree that's what I love about your work as well Brie is that it's it's not a trendy thing it's like actually helpful um and then also too I think not that you're not trendy (laughs) (laughs) you're so on trend because you're not trendy the new on-trend thing is like, please don't be trendy. Do you know? <laughs> I mean, you're on-trend because it's actually mm. fucking helpful. And I think I was actually thinking about this today just in like, you know, the wellness world and the yoga world of like, I was thinking that like I've been teaching for coming up to I think 11 years. And I was like, I've seen so many like different trends like come into the yoga world. And like, I don't know why, but I've always just felt like it could get them away from me. <laughs> Um, and I was thinking about like with your work, like this is stuff that has been spoken about for a long time, but I don't know if I've ever come across a practitioner like you that's been able to, I don't know, actually make it stick. And clearly like you're making it stick because that's shown in, you know, your workshop selling out well before, like people are feeling that this is not just a fluff thing that, um, I know I need, so we'll kind of dabble in it. It's like, actually, no, I know that I need this and I know that what I will learn actually will help me and will continue to, you know, pave a path forward of me managing my stress and my burnout. And, um, yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but, um, I think it's, I think it's fab. <laughs> I think it was a compliment. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I feel like, you know, 
I can't even remember what my brain, like my mouth opens yeah, and I don't know what I'm saying. It was very, it was very nice to you. I'm just being facetious. Um, <laughs> like, was I starting yeah, out? Yeah, no, I think like, or like, I don't, I don't know what I was starting out. <laughs> no, but I think like something we did touch on when we recorded this last time, which I think is, um, you know, it's a great conversation to have is really about if you say something is trauma-informed, make sure it is or something like that Mm -hmm. because, you know, so I've told a lot of, like, people say, oh, what are you studying? Oh, I'm studying trauma-sensitive yoga and trauma-sensitive yoga is like a specific methodology that's being studied but you could also kind of, you could also go to a trauma-informed yoga training and that would make you more trauma aware in your yoga teaching but when I when people said what are you studying and I tell them and they say oh I know a person that's doing um that does trauma yoga uh they're really good and then I was like oh I want to check them out and then like they show me their Instagram and it's literally like an Iinga class where they're on chairs and in straps and like stuff like that and you know obviously a lot of Iinga stuff you need to like get help into it and I and it's just like like it just it does worry me actually that people are going around saying that that is trauma informed mm-hmm. yoga because how could it possibly be trauma informed yoga when the power still lies with the teacher um, and you need assistance getting in and everyone in the class is doing the same thing so there's no choice you know just like again reinforcing these power dynamics and I mean I don't like I, I'm not gonna I don't want to say this in a way where it's like I'm on my high horse about it or nothing but at the same time it's like you do have to I believe you know have actually worked in or with people who have experienced complex trauma um, you know in order to kind of make your the yoga that you're delivering um, you know appropriate for people who have experienced it because like, so I, I think it's in, like, the, I don't know what book is this in, but it could be in, like, the James Clear Atomic Habits, but I don't know. But there's this story about this nurse, and she's at a family function, and um, she says to, like, her, you know, you look, and he's like, oh, that's not very nice. And she's like, no, 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 we need to get you to a hospital, like, straight away, and takes him to a hospital, and it turns out he was having a stroke or a heart attack, something, Um you know, that nobody else in the whole family function could see, but because she was a nurse, she had seen it again and again and again. And so she could pick up on those subtle signs. And it's like, you know, um, if we're talking about what's trendy or something like, yeah, right now doing trauma yoga is quite trendy. And, Mm -hmm. and that does, I think, worry me a little bit. And I know like people in the same sphere kind of feel the same, um, because it's not about jumping on something like the word trauma because it's trendy and saying that you help people with trauma and help people work through trauma if you don't actually, like, if you don't know how to um, support someone if they're having a triggered response or a flashback or something, you know, that is more serious because at the end of the day, yeah, there's a receiving end on that and Mm. if you can't support them effectively then you could be doing more harm than good so yeah, yeah. anyway that's my rant <laughs> <laughs> and I think we touched on this last time but like some um yoga is gonna be really bad for people in those states 
So, yeah, I think that's where kind of the danger sort of comes in is actually something that, you know, someone thinks might be helpful as a teacher to someone in those stress states actually could be the very worst thing for them. And so, yeah, like all yoga is not equal. All yoga is not good for you because all like it's. And I think this is where like, um, you know, obviously I teach in studios, but that's that's never how yoga ever was practiced. Like, you know, in ancient times, it was not just like, you know, a group of people, 20 people with one teacher. Like it, it just wasn't like that because eventually at some point the practice of yoga, like I think any thing that we do that's working towards something that's in like that needs to be personalized to us at some point you know things there's going to be things that you're doing in a room that you're like oh I, I, that's not helpful to me but unless we kind of have that knowledge ourselves as students to know what is and what isn't and I guess that's the awareness again and that's where you're speaking about the power dynamic because in all of yoga classes essentially the power dynamic sits with the teacher the teacher tells you what to do you do it Um, and I think that can have a lot of problems with it. Um, and that's where that like, you know, personalized practice or doing practice on your own, where you're just actually feeling into your own body, not being told what to do with your body. Um, so would you say that's the biggest difference between trauma sensitive yoga and just yoga that's practiced in studios is that power dynamic actually just dissolving? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, you know, in trauma-sensitive yoga, there's no teacher and student. Um, They talk about having a shared, authentic experience. So I know when I did my yoga teacher training, you know, we were taught don't just uh, be up the front and demonstrate. Walk around, you know, have your eyes on people, tell people what to do kind of thing and make sure they're doing it right. And I think that is great advice for if you're teaching in a gym or a studio because you're looking out for people's, like, you know, physical safety and all that kind of thing. Um, but in trauma-sensitive yoga, you practice together your cues that you or the shapes or the movements that you give are based on your own bodily experience mm-hmm. um, and each form that you take, so they're not called like poses or postures, they're called like forms and each form that you take you give a choice that you could do this or you could do this Mm. Um, and, you know, further down the track you could do this, this or something else. So people have a choice in each each form and, I mean, there's this nice like qualitative study um, and what came out of that is like so beautiful but and they titled the study, you know, Claiming Peaceful Embodiment um, Mm. because that was kind of a quote from one of the participants is that, um, you know, they in trauma you're not able to do something. I mean, like, you know, whatever response that you might have wanted to take is thwarted. That's how it kind of ends up as trauma. So, therefore, inherently there's a lack of choice. And so by being able to say, here, you know, here's some choices and you're able to take either one and then actually taking them, like it can seem really simple, but, um, yeah, it's very powerful. And um, another thing, another principle, I guess, of trauma-sensitive yoga is about that present moment experience Um, because obviously, you know, 
when trauma happens in the past, but it, that implicit memory really follows you around and sometimes everything can feel like trauma um, if you can be kind of stuck in that threat, that protective threat response. Um, so it's, yeah, it's about kind of undoing some of these dynamics that are inherent in trauma and kind of doing the opposite. Mm. Um, and, you know, like, for example, I go to a yoga class in a studio or a gym because I want to be told what to do. I want to do exercise and move my body, um, maybe work up a sweat like that's, or maybe have, you know, if I'm coming to yours, a bit more of a spiritual experience kind of thing. <laughs> like, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to certain teachers to do certain things, but I want them to tell me what to do the whole time, yeah. you know? And we're told that yoga is calming, is peaceful or whatever. Um, and that might not be the case if you're, you know, if you've experienced complex trauma and you're coming into a studio or a gym and you're being told what to do and then you're expecting or, you know, what we're told is that, and that should make you calm. Like that's what's yeah. going to make you calm mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know. Um, you know, being told to hold a chair pose is not, going and then having to leave and being like that that was stressful that wasn't calming and I didn't want to do that but I did it because everyone else in the room was doing it yeah. and they were sitting deeper and deeper but I didn't really like it kind of thing um and it drives further disconnection not only between the person and their body but the person and the teacher and the person and everyone else in the room mm-hmm. kind of thing um so yeah I guess at, at the end of the day the end goal is different and I mean they, what I kind of like in trauma-sensitive yoga is that there kind of is no end goal rather than having this present moment experience and maybe, you know, maybe making some choices and then maybe down the track, maybe taking some action based on the choices or the sensations that you're feeling, but having that in a really, like, titrated and stepped-out way so you're not going okay, everybody sit down now and check in with how you're feeling because, like, that's going to be like, whoa, you know, that's that's down the track sort mm. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's helpful to know is that there is, as you guys said, like there's a process for that. And so where people might have previously felt like, I don't know how to come back to my body and my body is a scary place, um, that, you know, there are ways to do this and it's not just trauma sensitive yoga you know there's other stuff somatic experiencing um that kind of things but that there is there is methods that are out there Mm. and they work Mm. yeah yeah sometimes even just knowing that there's a different option or a different path Mm. is just so empowering you know yeah like i'm sure there are multiple people hearing this right now saying oh my god what it's like it's not just me that feel stressed when I have to hold this pose or when I get told to do this. Um, even that I think is going to help a lot of people to feel confident enough, I guess, to explore different options mm. and find the thing that works for them because that's mm. all we're doing really. There's no one one method that's going to work for every person. So it's remaining curious and just trusting that you will find your teacher, your practice, you will find that safety. It's just mm. working out what your journey looks like into mm. this. And knowing that it will change at mm. some point and then having that, like, you know, feeling of, oh, I can change. Like this one thing that helped me for this amount of time now mm. I'm actually feeling I'm done with. And then being 
just willing to be like, actually, I don't want to interface with that thing anymore. I think knowing when that point happens is is helpful too. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think about hold, also about holding on to hope and I think that's kind of like, um, yeah, hope that things could be better or they could change or mm. or something like that, um, yeah, can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience that you think would help their journey or anything you'd like to let let the crew know about that's coming up in your world? Um, I guess like just remaining curious to what's out there and, you know, open-minded and like this whole thing as well can sometimes be presented in a way as like, oh, that you have to do it or and it has to feel like this and it has to look like this, blah, blah, blah. But really for me it's been about like experimenting and seeing what works like um like the I think the reason that we don't do a lot of these practices with our body is because we think oh they're too weird or or they feel weird like we start to question it from like this place in the prefrontal cortex and so that's why animals just naturally kind of complete their stress cycle but we don't but like some of the stuff, like when I get angry now, my favorite thing to do is punch a couch. But the first time I did that, it was really uncomfortable. I was like, oh, I hate this. Like, this is so weird. Um, but now I just, you know, punch a couch for a little bit. Then I'm like, oh, I actually feel better. Um, you know, and being curious, does that work for me or does it make me feel worse? Does it make me feel more activated? Mm-hmm. And so in that way, it becomes like playful and an experiment rather than being so serious I guess um and in terms of what I got coming up I have a more workshops on the (laughs) um, 5th of April in Sydney in the evening in St Peter's and the 7th of April in Newcastle in Redhead and that is there it's called shift and it's about kind of like permission to live seasonally or like shift with the seasons which might seem like really far away from dissolve and body-based stress release but actually um one of the most helpful things has been to kind of start tuning into rhythms um one of the first things I did when I um when I quit my job was that I wanted to live more in line with my cycle like my menstrual cycle And then, you know, on the surf trip, we were very, like, in tune with what the ocean was doing and what the winds were doing. And then from there, I kind of became a bit more curious um, about, like, kind of changing with each season kind of thing rather than what, you know, capitalism tells us to do, which is, like, push through, push through, push through in this very linear way of living, which ultimately Mm -hmm. leads to burnout. So um, this one's going to be, yeah, more cosy, more juicy, um, I guess uh, less of like a still a bit of information, less informative though, more embodied, lots of fun like little practices to help like, yeah, give that permission to shift with the season and know that you don't have to like continuously push through 100% of the year. And basically I do that as a reminder to myself as well. It's like <laughs> I need the workshop so I'll just run it. <laughs> I feel like we all do that. Don't we? We're like, this would help me out. So here you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. 
Sign me up, doll. Right. Sounds great. Can't wait. <laughs> Thank you very, very much, Bree, for coming on the potty twice. <laughs> um, we really, really appreciate you um, sharing your time, sharing your gifts, and sharing all of your wisdom with everyone. And we'll be sure to share a few of your resources that you've got floating around too. I know that not only you have things on your Instagram, but you've also got things on Spotify yeah, and exactly. Insight Timer. Yeah which is super helpful too. So we'll link everything in the show notes and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for being here, everyone. Bye.